Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to tell you about this podcast. It's called The DK Project, but it's really The Darren Show. The DK Project is a radio show, but without the radio. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. Let's go! Welcome back to The DK Project. Hey, everybody. I want to give you a little intro on this one. This is part two of the Terry Pernsteiner Adventure. He stopped in the other day and we laid down a jumbo episode, so we decided to cut it into a double feature. That's right, two for the price of one. So if you haven't checked out episode 78, uh, that was uh, episode one, be sure to do that. You know, it's not required, but uh, it may help fill in some of the blanks. Otherwise, without further ado, here's part two. Enjoy. This episode of The Project's brought to you by NRD Landscape Design. If you or someone you know is considering a landscape project, give the good folks at NRD a call. I know it sounds cliche, but no job's too big or too small. They've done several projects at my houses, and I can't say enough. It's the way contracting should be. On time, on budget, no hidden costs. Check them out on the web at nrdlandscape.com or call 952-212-2665. Tell them you heard about it on the DK Project. Now... On with the show. All right. So, so the question I have is, uh, uh, how does the, uh, how was the uh, temperature or the uh, set when, when you're, when you're working a Green Bay game or, or, you know, or a, a border battle of, of whatever state or whatever league you're in? I mean, the Green Bay Viking thing is crazy. We have, uh, we have a gal that comes on. Uh, her name is Sal. Jesus, diehard Vikings, diehard, which is so fun because I did uh, the sports show with Bob Sansevier for a while and that uh, that whole sports world. But the border battle with the Packers, I mean, it's just night and day here. Like they like Viking people do not like Packer people. And, and you know, part of it is, I don't know, but I, I, I bring this up because the other day I'm, uh, I, you know, I was just talking uh, to Tom. And uh, I'm like, you know, what's really great about this, not just because the kids are at home and whatever, but you don't have to watch the shitty sports. They just put the good ones on. And I tuned in the other day and they had, um, oh, and my memory's horrible, but the, the, the year Favre was here. Uh, so they, they played the month. It was on a Monday night, uh, real. And they played the Monday night game when the Vikings played the Packers and we had Favre. And, uh, and, you know, we talked so much about uh, Jordan earlier um, and how great he was at basketball. But Favre was pretty damn good on the field. I mean, that guy, just to, just to see him, and, I, you know, here's a good question. Speaking of, why didn't he give him a fucking jersey that fits? Why did he have that pup tent on? His jersey would have fit somebody three times his size. It's totally, the player gets to call that. Dennis Ryan is phenomenal. He's the equipment manager for Vikings. He does whatever the players want. Nike came out, and when Nike started with the jerseys, they're so tight that you can hardly get them on and off. And well, don't they even glue them onto the pads now so they can't only grab Only certain position players that want it because uh, some guys want it to be slippery and, and stretch like a quarterback. Okay. So he can get that extra. And some guys like uh, receivers, oh. they want to just be tight so they can't grab it. Right. And so there's – and they actually, players have their total – and we do whatever the players want. If they want, and they all bring their pads with them team to team to team too. They're custom made um, pads. And so- They use the same ones every game? I mean- Same ones every game. Like they smell terrible and Dennis sends them out once a year or so and gets them cleaned and they have ozone 
big ozone box now that helps. It's got to smell like holy hell in there after a game. Because I know when my yeah. when my eighth grader uh, gets done with a hockey game, that's just putrid. And you're talking about grown men? Yeah, No, nah, but the, we set out all the most wonderful smelling stuff in the showers, and they, they come out smelling pretty good. It's just their helmets because they, they don't get clean and their shoulder pads. Everything else gets laundered. Okay. So so that makes sense, though, why Favre's jersey was so big then, because he wanted to be able to to move a little even if someone had him. Well, that's just, I'm just speculating on that one. But he calls it. A, a players call it the way they want it. And then Dennis just does it. So when they when Dennis fits him. That was such a great team, game. They talk about it. And Favre was so amazing in this respect. Um, he was so intuitive. And by Favre... <laughs> I uh, I remember one game. Uh, Adrian had this phenomenal run. He ran over the guy's back. Do you remember that? No. The guy went down. He literally took like two or three steps on top of the guy and had like a 48 or 60 yard. I don't remember. It was a big gain. And I was standing on the sidelines and our, our coordinator at the time was Daryl Bevel, who's with Seattle Seahawks now. And Bev said, uh, hey, Brett, did you hear me call him? Like, I think it was like 27, 27. He goes, yep. Hot route! Red 7, Red 7, Red 7! Look all. John! What? Red 7! I don't know what Red 7 means. Hot route! I don't. What is hot route? Will you just go stand on the other side, please? He goes, do you know what that means? He goes, <laughs> nope. <laughs> and I thought, wow. And he goes, well, that's a common scenario when the uh, tight ends line up and the ends line up this way on a West Coast offense. You, you, you'll hear us yelling it. He goes, oh, okay. So I thought, and not only that, but Adrian was not the plan. He was a dump. He, he, it was not the plan, but it was this huge gain. Everyone looked and said, wow, that Favre is amazing. And Favre didn't hear the call from the sideline. He, he heard it, but he didn't know what it meant. He, didn't, he was instinctive. His instincts were so amazing. And, but, but what I thought was amazing was he was coachable at the end of his career. Now, Bev's a really great guy, but he listened to Daryl Bevel, and he admitted that he didn't know something that was, as Daryl Bev even said it, he, this is really common. <laughs> Bev was so sweet. He didn't mean to. To, to talk down to Brett. He just, he's just a sweet guy. He just said, this is really common. Let's go something you hear, you'll hear a a lot. And I thought every player, like you talk about the hockey players and your kids, every player should say, cause you know how they get above coaching when they reach a certain level yeah. and they're not even in the pros yet. And they right. get a chip on their shoulder. You can see high school host players and college players who think they, they don't need to, they, you know, blow, they walk away from the coach or something. And it's like, Favre didn't do that at the end of his career. And he got, he got hit the last play when he got hit on the bottom and his chin split open. And, and the trainer had him, the trainers had him on the, the table back behind the bench and they were holding a towel on it. And it was just gushing blood like your chin would, if it got cut open, it was like an inch long cut or something. And he kept trying to get up. I'm okay. I want to play. Let me in. I want to get, and that, that's who he was. And I said to him the next game, we didn't know that, but that was the last game of that play of his career. And that next, he was on IR. We were in Detroit and I say, Brett, I've been, I got, I have a really high pain tolerance. My my bicep tore off and and I was just angry. And the and the athletic trainer for the Detroit Lions when it happened kept saying, "Man, that's that's the most that's the most excruciating thing you could have because the whole tendon, which is the size of like your pointer finger, when it rips off at once, all those nerve endings tearing off is so excruciating." And I said, "Well, I don't have any pain." You know, he said, I said, "But I think I'm lightheaded." He said, "That's your pain." I said, "I don't have any pain." I said, "I think I'm going to throw up." He said, "That's your pain." I never felt a single pain when my really? bicep ripped. So I said, "I got a really high pain threshold." I didn't tell Far of that one, but I said, "I've been caught." And and I said, "But you got you got 
you got like no pain threshold. I have a high one, but you have like no one. And he's like, <laughs> I think it's just because I'm stupid. And, and then he walked away. But, but this guy was the toughest guy you ever saw in your ever, ever in your life on the field. You talk about Dan Marino and all well, this. Well, didn't he play with a broken ankle there for a bit when the, well, here's was a great the Saints story. game or something? Here's a great story. This I is can like, never remember shit. He played with everything. I walked in the locker room at the Metro and they were, he was with the Packers and he's sitting there. It was way before the game. It was morning. It was like, uh, it was, anyway, it was like five, six hours before the game. And he's not usually there. You know, he came with the first bus and, and usually they'll stay at the hotel and get treatment and they'll come on the last bus and, and, or they'll maybe come earlier and get treatment at that, but but they they just aren't early. The quarterback especially, and uh, he'll maybe come with, but he was before the buses. There was like staff came over, and and I walk in the locker room and he's sitting there, and the trainers are looking at me and they go, "Hey, do you have any super glue?" And I knew that he had broken his thumb, the game before he hit a helmet or something, and I'm, I was thinking as a as a Viking, oh good, he's not going to play very well. I just went in the vac Packers locker room to say hi to some guys and you know, some uh, clubbies and stuff. And, and, uh, and they said, I said, what for? And they smiled. And, and I said, ah, they're going to do something with his thumb. So they took this fiberglass shell of a cast and they super glued his thumb to the cast. <laughs> and he had this great game and they're like, we can't believe he had such a great game with a broken thumb. And I'm like, I know how he did it. But if he would have, if that would have torn off, it would have taken all his skin and his fingernail. He didn't care. He was a winner. He was like super tough. Now I know you can take acetone and dissolve it to get it off after fact, but when you're in a game and if that <sighs> thing gets ripped off, it's bleeding everywhere. <sighs> but he took that risk. They took that risk with this super hall of fame quarterback and said, we need to beat the Vikings. It, apparently that year it was, you know, a long time ago, but they were in a contested, you know, they got to, you got to keep the wins going yeah. to get the playoffs. But, but that's him that he had do anything to win anything. And, and he was a very peculiar guy in a sense that, you know, he was recovering. He had drug addictions and alcoholism. Was that from the pills or was it before that? Yes, it was pain pills. Yeah. Because they, they can get prescribed a lot of pain pills you know, because they're in real oh, pain. Oh, Jesus. I couldn't and imagine. so at some point, it's not unhuman to become addicted to some of those super pain pills. So then he has the, kind of the personality of, uh, he had a hard time one-on-one, -on -one, but to a group, he was hilarious. So, so you wonder why he didn't make it in, in broadcasting because there's, there's, because he, he actually, he's, he's, a, he's, he's articulate enough. Um, there's a desire thing there too, but, but there's a, there's an interesting personality that, uh, again, the sociologist guy in me that, that likes to just study people that he, 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 he had some trust issues too, because he had a sense that a lot of people were trying to use him, you know, and, uh. I, I got stories I really can't tell on here, but but uh, maybe someday. Really, that that are really kind of interesting about kind of back to the to the human side of sports too, because there's there's more to it. it. These are very private people, and then they have incidents that happen that are very private inside that, and then you can become trust issues because because. Um, First of all, everyone's wounded as a child, right? Yeah. I talk about Adrian's dad. So we're not talking about most people. Uh, actually, even a lot of people's drive comes from, I got to prove it to the world because I have worthiness issues. So, so it's so convoluted that, that, and there's not time for that. There's just get out there and play. So, so they just go through life and maybe when they're our age, that, that their marriages tremble or something weird happens that they have to go and do 
counseling with family origin stuff and all that kind of stuff that goes back and figures out why you're behaving the way you are. Right. But, but so, so there's some of that. And then you add, you know, addiction, a lot of times addiction is, is, has many bases too, not just chemical. It's from the wounds. So, so, so I'm saying this thing's not, not I can't tell you about Brett. I just know that he was super tough and, and he was, he was private and there was a real sense of, he was super frugal, super really? frugal. like, he, like, he, like he wasn't going to make another penny and he was broke. So there was this weird dynamic about, he was one of the most frugal players. He probably has the first dollar he ever made. Really? Yeah. So, so, uh, again, really interesting stories that I shouldn't be telling right now, but. But do you get a, do you get a, do you get a sense from that with, uh, with those guys? I mean, and, and, I, and I don't mean this to Brett, but I'm, but do you get a sense to these guys that like, I'm still playing football? Like, I mean, you're, you're still playing a, a child's game. You know what I mean? Like, oh, like, yeah. like a baseball player. Oh, look at Marino. Player. Look how he turned into a kid and slugged me and I ran up. But I just, they, I just think they, it's so weird. I'm, I'm, I'm 30, 30, whatever. 40. And I'm still playing. He was 42 or something, right? Still playing football. Like, like, you know, like I, I, I attribute it to like the, the, uh, the AD at the, at the school. Like you were, you were in high school, you went to college, you got out of college, you were a teacher after a teacher, you were in the head office. Then you went to being an AD. It's like, you've never left school. Great analogy. Like there's a soul, there's a world out there yeah. for work and, 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 but you're still in school. Like you still hear the bell every 54 minutes. Oh, it's you know, about coaching. These, a lot of ex-players end up in coaching. Yeah. I asked them, I like, say. Like they may not just, maybe they don't know that world and they don't want to leave. That's their that's comfort part spot. part of it. You know? And there's a camaraderie. I, I mean, I asked our color guy, our, our radio guy, Pete. Versich. I said, Pete, what is it? He's like, I can't explain it. He went from player to He was a coach for a while. To now he's, now he's in broadcasting. But he's like, there's a camaraderie. There's this camaraderie and fraternity. I, I just can't leave. And I asked coaches, I say, you know, you don't need to. How about this story? So uh, who was the, um, uh, who was the coach that walked out in the middle of the season? He was our head coach's buddy. Um Oh my gosh. Uh, I don't know. For the Vikings? Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, mm. left in the middle of the season. Yeah. He was, uh, he was a quarterback out in Oregon and uh, oh man, why can't I think of his name? I'll put her in the Googler. Yeah, Google it. Well, anyway, let me tell you a story. Google so, that shit. We were in Green Bay and, uh, and we stayed in Appleton and we were in the restaurant. Paper Valley. Yep. And uh, there was, the Oregon game was on and, and I went up and, uh, gosh, I can't believe I can't remember. But, uh, I, I sat down next to him and I said, Hey man, want to share a dessert? Cause it's just hilarious. They got Fred Flintstone portions there. They got this steak <laughs> that sticks way out past the plate. It's like the one that tips over the, the, the Fred Flintstone vehicle. And you can't, no family, no one person can eat this much. And, and I said, so I was joking with him because a strawberry shortcake is a, is this big? It's a full. George Edwards? No, not George. He's great. But, mm. uh, ah, I almost had it. Um, but anyway, th they're like 12 inch around strawberry shortcakes for one person. What? 12 inches around and like six inches high. It's, it's like a comedy. So, and they put that in front of you and, uh, and so, so I was joking with him, Hey, you know, you, you know, I think they need bigger portions here or something. And he said, uh, yeah, he said, you know, where I grew up, Norv Turner. Is that who it is? Yeah. So, you oh. know, Norv, 
Norv's most beloved coach. He he was head coach. He's done so much coaching, right? Norv Turner, just a great human being. Didn't come up on the Google. So I said, so he's go- not known, Google him once. So he's not Norm. He's not known for that. Norv Turner. So so I uh, I said, hey, he, <laughs> I see what he you said, <laughs> I grew up uh, I grew up on the poor side, the dock side of Oakland, and he said, my dad. I don't know if he died young or left, but he said, my mom worked two jobs to feed me and my brothers. We never had a meal just for one person as big as they are here for our Thanksgiving or Christmas. Jeez. So he said, I went to bed hungry all the time. So I said, Norv, I bet you still think that way, don't you? He said, yes, I do. I still think I'm going to be hungry. I'm not going to have enough. So the childhood thing never leaves you. So Norv, because I said, Norv, he was head coach. He made millions. He doesn't need to be coaching. He doesn't need to be on the 100-hour work weeks like they do with film and meetings and travel. They just want to be in that environment. They want to be in the environment. Norv said, uh, yeah, you know, I, so I said, he just was a great human being. So so their, their past never leaves them. So if they're a player and they grew up poor, they can act it. But their mind, you know, it, it, you know that's how humans are. Um, there was an executive when when General Mills got bought by that English company that when I was young, I was a mover and he, he ran this big division here and he had a, he grew up in a family in Europe, like, uh, for a thousand years, they had a mill and, uh, and now he's got this job that paid him probably three to 5 million a year or whatever. And, and he, he was a, a CEO. And I said, let me ask you a question. I said, you still think of yourself as that little boy on the mill, don't you? in the mill and he said, he had a long pause. I said, that's your identity, isn't he? Long pause and he said, yes it is. Wow. I said, that's how humans are. We don't arrive and change our identity. We, we deal with what we are today with always the bigger map or the bigger structure of where we came from and who we were. And so, uh, so, so that's been the question uh, that, that I've asked a lot of people and that's the, bottom line. So Norv was the same way. Players the same way. Favre, going back to that point, he grew up in Louisiana, very poor area. Um, now just has a, has a normal, modest place. Yeah, it's nice, but it's a pole shed with lawnmowers. He likes mowing his lawn. He, we don't leave where we are. So his frugalness is not have a shit ton. A gob of money. Yeah. He, he does not need anything in in off air, I'll tell you some stories that you'll just die laughing at because he was that frugal. And really? so it's like, you know, there, so, so people's personality, then you bring all these personalities in one team. That would explain the Wranglers. Brett Favre, football legend. I've tried all kinds of jeans. Button fly, zipper fly, you name it. But for me, nothing works better than the all new open fly jeans from Wrangler. Introducing the first open fly jean from Wrangler. The first jeans with no fly whatsoever. Wrangler open fly jeans feature an ultra relaxed fit right where you need it most. The fly. Why let zippers and buttons slow you down? With open fly jeans, it's always out and camera ready. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Because that's high class right there. <laughs> and so that's his Sunday going to meeting clothes. And so, uh, yeah, so, so anyway. How interesting. But I got to think that that, that, that's pretty normal, uh, you know, a lot of these guys. But I guess if you look at it from an outside perspective, you could walk out the door and, and swing a cat and you're going to hit 10 people who want to 
would love to be in that position, would love to be in that, you know, front office or in the announcer's room or. That's so true. Uh, you know, however. So I guess if you could just say, hey, I'm going to stay on to be an announcer, you know, a lot of people can do it. Some people. No, I don't think so. It's so demanding. Well, it's, it's, they, I, I, I've done, you know what though? I did uh, our local high school team. I announced for our local team. Yeah. I do uh, soccer, basketball, and, and I was supposed to do baseball this year again, but. How much time a week is that for you? Uh, it's not bad, you know. What's not bad? Uh, you know, if it's a two-game week uh, for whatever sport, it's probably six hours, eight hours. Do you know how few people want to give up six or eight? Eight hours. That's a work day. Well, and So it, you gave up a Saturday or Sunday equivalent of what society says, hey, I got my weekends off. You're making a sacrifice set because you like doing it or for whatever yeah. reason— no, but, it's but you're really making a sacrifice that if if you you know a lot of people could say I could do eight hours for a season, but you'll do it year after year after year. That's the difference. Well, and I think uh, yeah, uh, the reason why I bring it up is because I our, our baseball team uh, the last year my son played so whatever year ago um, they we got to go down to the U at Siebert Field, and and they're like, hey, you want to announce? So they put me in the booth with the big mic and the shit that's just tuned to me. Yeah. Oh, I'm telling you, I found my spot. <laughs> it was so, you know, and it sounded so awesome because it's like, you know, here at the at the at the high school field, you know, it's just some shit equipment that right, they right. threw together that you can't do anything with. But you get there and it's like, whoa, you know, I I could see that. You know, it's I, EQ'd to you, baby. Ooh, man, oh, wow. It felt good. It was, it was really, uh, it was a fun experience. And, and just for, you know, just for, and you don't get that feeling on most of these, but, but I get a lot of feedback. I get a lot of, uh, people that are like real happy because I have a lot of fun with it. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm naturally, uh, there to entertain. Oh, yeah. And I'll announce too. Yeah. Cause it's kind of my, you know, it's always been my thing to be on the radio or, or, or to entertain people. And, uh, and this has given me an avenue, but then you put that in front of me where it's like, this is what it should sound like. It's like, you just keep reaching for that, keep reaching for that. So I think a lot of these sports people, you know, they've had that taste of that whole world where, and it's not even so much they want the fame and the fortune and whatever, but it's just that thing they love to do. They love to get out there, you know, and then, and you got to get more of it. So if I can't get out on the field and I gotta, I gotta wear a suit and be in the front, I'll do that. But it's easy for you, isn't it? Oh, yeah. See, that's it. That's the difference. It's natural. You know how many people, greatest fear of all society is public speaking, right? And so you're, and you're like, give me more of that. So Paul Allen, uh, he's a genius, but he, he's a genius that just does that. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He just shows up and does it, right? So, so Paul, like I asked Paul and Pete, I say, you know, especially Pete, because he was a player and a coach. I say, Pete, this is like nothing for you, isn't it? He's like, yeah. It's like having a conversation with someone. Well, and that Paul Allen, great story, started off because of Jesse the Body. Full circle back to the beginning of the show. Uh, Jesse the Body got to be governor. So him and Jeff Dubay took over that radio show. Was that how he said And started? that's how this happened. That's how so, he is where he, he is. he called the track, though, before that. I think he's called the track the whole time, yeah. I think. Because he, he said, he remembered back in San Francisco when he had a little apartment He'd walk down to the track and call it and then walk back and having, you know, just, just, just partying. And that was a simple life. And, and so he just, it was just like walking for him, calling 
the track. And so as he gets into, he's got this encyclopedic mind that he was born with again. Um, uh, he's so good at that football, though. I mean, that, the, the Viking thing. Shotgun, Dalvin Cook to his left. Third and goal from the four. Kirk takes the snap. Looks right. Fade left. End zone. And it is caught. Touchdown. Bonjour, San Francisco. And au revoir, New Orleans Saints. But he's, he's as insecure as any other human being. Terribly insecure, just like everyone else. So, I don't know. I, I was at a, a steakhouse 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and ran into his, his wife, then wife. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. And? <laughs> I think there's probably a maintenance package that goes along with that. You know, the, the, uh, the, the you know, because he went from like, uh, you know, uh, like the night guy at the station, I think, to uh, P.N. Dubay had that show. It devastated and him when it, it Dubay went down with drug up. addiction. Yeah. Yeah, I can't but figure that kid back out. Back then on the plane, uh, on, a, on, a, on, a pl- on the Vikings plane, I say, Paul, how are you doing with all this travel? Your wife? And he goes, ah, she's okay with it. Your kids are really little. And I, what do you do? You know, how does she deal with all these weekends? Because it's me too. I, mean, I work seven days a week and I had a good wife who accepts it. But he goes, well, I just sent her up to the lake place. Well, shortly after that, they got divorced. So there's tension in that kind of demanding oh, schedule. Oh, I can only and, imagine. And, you know, when you saw her, she had had it. <sighs> and, and you sure can get it because <laughs> I remember Monty Kiffin. Monty Kiffin, we we hired we hired him as a coach from the Jets. And I, I had a moving company when I was young. And Monty came and he said, Hey Terry, you gotta do something for me. I said, What's that, Monty? He said, She's gonna leave me. I said, How do you know that? She told me. Straight up. <laughs> you you do this again, I'm leaving you. So I said, I said, Is she serious? He goes, She's dead serious this time. Keep her happy, Terry. Do whatever you gotta do to keep her happy. I said, I got that, Monty. And he said, I'm doing everything I can. I moved back to her old neighborhood. I, she's around all her old friends. I got it. You because know, since then he went off to like five different cities and coached, but she left her in her old neighborhood. So there's a, there's a, there's a pressure that, that is on these spouses that I can't tell you. Well, and I, I, I bet a lot of it too is, is, you know, I, and the PA, uh, Paul Allen side, I, uh, I, I, I you know, and, and Kiffin, I think the, the spouse doing what they absolutely love to do and excelling at it to a very high level, if not the highest level. And you're the wife or you're the husband of the person who's excelling and, and you're just normal. And I think that's a very hard world to live in. Uh, You know, because you see a lot of that where they're like, you know, the, 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 the spouse will be, wanting to do normal shit. And you're like, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm operating at a very high level. Yes and no. Um, not, almost, not, not, not even in Paul's, ego. Not in Paul's case, because Paul's just too recognizable in this market. I, somebody told me his kid's going where my kid goes to college. Yeah, so, yeah, because his, his girlfriend now, or to-be wife, she's great. Lisa, fantastic. I, I love Lisa. And, and, uh, and she's great with it. She travels a lot. She's a flight attendant. And so um, she actually goes to a lot of the games and she doesn't come. I with think that's team. a big part of it. You know, that, that, that that's a big team. part of it. That would happen with Howard Stern. Oh, yeah. With his first wife where you're like, you know, we started off as normal people together and now I'm here. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't care if people say you don't have an ego. You don't have that. They do. 
I mean, you do, you know that you're at the top of the food chain and then you got to go back to your wife who, or your husband, whichever the scenario is, but you, they, they're living normal. You're not living normal anymore. Yes and no. I'll really? say the no part because I'm around it all the time and I know Paul really well. And, uh, and the truth is Paul and anyone like him, um, I don't care how famous they are. They know they just, they just want, they want the same things everyone else does. So they want to go home and chill. They want to, uh, they, they want privacy for one. And, and they, but they don't want anything different than you want. So how do you do that and yet be famous? That's where it gets tricky. That's where you have to what personify. It, it looks like they might have ego when in fact, all they want is privacy. And so, 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 so Paul can't go anywhere in this market now. And he goes anywhere else. No one knows who the hell he is. Yeah. So I call, I tell him, Hey, Paul, you're a minor celebrity. You know, the truth is he is, right. he's a celebrity in this market and a story. He's not Brett Musburger and all these other guys that, that show up in, you know, John Elway's. And when they show up, um, they have a completely different persona because they, there's a level of guardedness that they need so they can maintain their basic humanness. And that doesn't mean they're a prick. They just have to not talk to everyone because you just, no one's got it in them. It's that James Taylor thing. He said, everyone should be famous for 15 minutes to know they don't want to be famous. Right. I love traveling with the team and being a nobody because, um, because I can go in and out of the hotel and, and, and everywhere. And I just get to see the city and do whatever they can't. And the bigger they get, I remember we were in the, the chiefs had Joe Montana as a quarterback and, uh, and, uh, David Craig as a backup uh, quarterback and, and David Craig the year before, cause I traveled with them back then. This when they were in river falls during their camp and David Craig was the greatest. He was at Oakland Raiders for a long time. Never got hurt. He was just hall of fame career, just a phenomenal specimen. At the end of his career, his body looked like an 18 year old. He's just, he'd eat hot dogs and junk food. <laughs> he just was one of those guys who just, the dietary bull crap. He ate whatever he wanted really? and he was just a stud. And then Joe comes around and it was horrible. Where for did him. he end up? David Craig at the chiefs. And then he retired. I think really that was his last God, that name seems familiar. You'll Google him. He had a tremendous rushing career, but, but when Joe came in, Joe now was a big fish and David loved it. No one wanted David Craig anymore. They kind of did. They wanted his autograph, but we were at the, we were in the lunch at, at, we, we traveled to, um, we traveled to scrimmage in lacrosse, which were Dicka coached the saints. And we spent two days there just scrimmaging the saints with the chiefs. And, uh, and, and my buddy, the equipment manager, Mike said, Hey, you want to go out with Joe and Dave? And I said, yeah. So Joe Montana and, and I, there's a great story. I'll tell you now, actually, this is a great one. So, so, uh, in the door, my roommate was a, a kid who went to lacrosse and he was a wrestler and he went out with some of his old buddies from town. And, and I went with uh, Joe Montana, David Craig, and a couple of, um, a couple of uh, uh, equipment staff. And we went up to this place on the hill at that time it was called the Alpine or something. Now it's something else, but it's way up on the bluff. And there was no one knew Joe Montana that was just great for Joe. And uh, Joe couldn't go anywhere, right? because my, my previous stories, we were coming out of the lunchroom and somehow they, the security eyes snuck them out of the back doors. No one, we're, they just decided to take them out the back door. We're coming out the front and people are sprinting to the back to see Joe. Like, how did they even know? 
It's just, it, it was like, it was like blood hounds after a deer that's wounded. It was sad. <laughs> it was just, I felt so bad for Joe. So when we went out that night, no one knew him. It was great. We sat and, and, uh, and, and I'm like, uh, no one came up to him. There were a couple of people up there and they didn't know who Joe Montana was. And, uh, and so, and then this will evolve into a great story. But then Nick Lowry was the highest paid kicker. He shows up with uh, Baxter, whoever their punter was at the time. And they start shooting pool. And, and, and the highest paid kicker almost gets in a fight because he's flirting with this girl. And this, this strong farm boy was going to beat him up. And we're just laughing because how stupid is this guy? He's going <laughs> to end this expensive kicking career because he's got some goofy drunk pride going on. So we were sitting there entertaining and, and Joe had, had money in his pocket. It was 30 grand. He called it money my wife didn't know. Because way back then, his, he was making 72 million a year with endorsements. Jeez. He was the highest paid guy in the league. And just a great guy. And that just, was what, 20 years ago? Yeah. Just Damn. a great human being. You'd sit here and he was just, he was just a regular guy. Didn't like the whole fame thing. And so I was like, hey, Joe, want to shoot some pool? And he's like, no, nah, I suck. So I, I'm like, David Craig's from Wisconsin, which is where I grew up. And, and I said, hey, David, you want to shoot pool? He goes, yeah. He runs the table on me. I sit down with Joe. I said, I'm out. I didn't get one shot. So David kept running the table and, and Joe... We're sitting there and Joe, Joe bought our beer. You know, we didn't have to pay for the beer. And so Marty Schottenheimer, the head coach, shows up with a few other coaches and they take another high top. And curfew was 11, 11 o'clock at the time and still is. But he said, and the fine back then was like 1600 bucks to break curfew. Now remember, Joe made 72 million with 30,000 bucks in his pocket. And so 1600 bucks <laughs> is like what? You know, flipping 50 cents yeah. to the barista here. And so- so Marty's like, hey, you know, Joe, you got curfew and David. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Okay, see you, coach. So they leave and we stayed there. And then we ended up running around with the coach and the doctors and stuff. And we stayed out till 3.30 in the morning. And we had a lot of fun. So I get back to the dorm and I talk to Herman, the German, who's guarding the door. He was their security guard. And I, hey, Herm. And Herman, the German, had a flat top ex-Marine. He was serious. And Herm loved catching guys on curfew. And that was, that was his game because it was his responsibility. He's getting cut of the 1600. Probably. <laughs> and so, so I talked to Herm for like 20 minutes. I liked Herm. I go to bed. My roommate's not there yet. I go to bed at 3.30 or 4 o'clock. And I go, uh, I wake up in the morning and this, this, my roommate, the kid's holding his head going, man, I can't believe what I did. I said, what'd you do? He goes, I get in late. I said, yeah, you did. You weren't here when I got in. And uh, it, it was like 4.30 or something he got in and. I said, what happened? He said, well, I was coming in the door and the dorms in La Crosse had, the, had these, there's some bushes and then it had this concrete little outcrop for rain over the steps, you know, oh, just sure. a straight ledge out. And uh, he said, there were two guys in the bushes and I knew right away who the two guys were, Montana and Craig, and they were <laughs> drunk. And I go, what'd they want? They said, hey, can we climb on your back? And, and jump up on that ledge and then knock on a player's window and they get beat curfew, which again, meant nothing monetarily. Right, right. It was a game. So Joe's Jesus. at the end of his career and he's still a kid. And so, so he does it. And I said, man, he's drunk too. But this kid was arrested, like I said, so he's strong. So he, he, they, they climb on his back, climb on the ledge, tap and they get in. And, and, and I'm like, if that would, you had the starter and the backup quarterback on your drunk back and they're drunk. Do you realize you'd never be around the NFL if something happened? You think that the, the deflate gate's bad with Brady? This would be way bigger news. And so, so uh, I'm, I'm, then in the morning, I go down to have breakfast. I'm sitting with Herman, the German, thinking I know this. And I go, oh, man. 
And uh, Ditka walks up. Hey, you guys see Marty? I said, oh, what do you need him for, coach? She said, we got tea time. I'm thinking, I'm not saying anything. I don't know where he is. I'm thinking, there's no way Marty's going to play. He was out with us till 3.30 in the morning, and we all drank a little bit too much. And I'm thinking, this NFL stuff's crazy. And so uh, um, at the, at the uh, um, so what was the deal with Joe? I was going to say that. Uh, um, but anyway, he got away with it. And, and it was like, uh, it was just hilarious because, because they're just normal, just normal. Just kids want to have fun, want to get nuts. That's just crazy. That whole atmosphere, though, in those dorms and that life—that's just got to be. I mean, I, like I said earlier, it, with the amount of people that would give their right arm to just be in that environment, you know. And and, and obviously, it's your thing. You do it all the time. No big deal. But it was a big deal then. I was I was quite young. I was going to say that's a while ago. Yeah. But they, um, but a lot of them, I got to imagine have, have, uh, uh, just become normal with dealing with trying to be normal in a not so normal environment, you know? And, and when you put them in the dorms at, at spring, tra- I mean, well, come on, that's gotta be awesome. That's gotta be just chaos at its best. Cause they all have enough money to do whatever the hell they want. There's a concern for the coaches, as you can imagine. Oh, years later, I saw Herm. We went to play in Arrowhead in Kansas City. And I said, the, the security guy? Yeah, I said, Herm, I never couldn't tell you this. He retired by then. It was like literally 20 years later. I said, Herm, I got to tell you what happened. He's like, oh, my God. He said, I'm glad I didn't know I would have died. I said, yeah. I sat next to you at breakfast. I didn't know what to do. Unreal. Uh, so so you're there the whole time. You're you're involved with everything? That's not anymore. That was then. Yeah, I don't want to do camp. It's yeah. endless hours. Ugh. I just, when the season starts, I go on the road with them. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, that that whole thing with uh, with uh, Paul Allen and and those guys who go into the broadcasting and and seeing that side of it, uh, it's crazy. It's it's a lot of fun and it's it's just a, a different world. Pa got his wings clipped. We were in Chicago. We lost, and he got so passionate, he acted like a fan on air. Do you remember that? No, well, but I I have very I don't I do remember too. anything. But I remember this because the owners even got down on him, and I said, Paul. He, he felt really bad the next week. He didn't know what to do. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you, he didn't know he misbehaved. He's just passionate. Yeah. So I said, Paul, you know, one thing is, you know, the very gift you have, the reason that they, they like you on air around here on radio is because you're authentic. You just, you, you say it, you're going to be offensive and there's nothing wrong with passion. So my suggestion to you is don't change a bit. Yeah. Because if you start trying to be who you are, you won't be a good broadcaster. No, no. Well, that gets back to what we were saying when you, when you're being forced to read other people's stuff or do things that aren't normal to yeah. you. It doesn't seem as authentic and people uh, will pick up on that right away. Cause he's, I mean, damn, you could just feel the passion when that dude's doing the games. He's authentic. Oh, it's crazy. I, I don't care much for his radio thing. Cause that's kind of. And with, it's a shtick. It's yeah, just, yeah. It's a shtick. And, and you know, who's really bad is uh, in my opinion, I know people that love him is that common man. People love that guy. I can't listen to it. I can't either. And I imagine if I did turn it on, it'd be the same shit it was 15 years ago when I did listen. It does. And he's got the biggest following. I don't understand I've it. I've never been part of it either. It's 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 really a different thing. But that just goes to show you there's listeners out there for everything. Well, let's go back to the initial. There was a, there's This kind of started up about, you know, about about the, the border battle. Yeah, yeah. So there's a reason sports exists. Keep blowing the snap on my pants. Yeah, Jesus. I told you. The you, Pandy 15. It's, <laughs> Damn it. I didn't know those Depends stretched that much. Jesus. But uh, there's, uh, 
sports serve a purpose in society that is, you know, it's, it's entertainment. But the players don't care about the money when they're playing. It's blood, sweat, and tears. Oh, they bet. leave it on the field because, you know, honestly, they could break their neck any play. These are not guys that are just out there to get it through the season. Every play is, they're, they're the kind of, they're the Dan Marino thing, slamming the phone down. These are the killer's instinct of society. You don't get where they get the, the junior say how intensity. You don't get to that level if you don't have some way of putting it putting your efforts so intensely into your physicality that, that, that you excel to all the others that are right there almost with you. So, so what then, so there's the real side of the bleeding on the field. Then there's the side when they got to face the media and they got to pretend to say all the right things. And then there's the mom, kid, dad side of their life. And then there's the philanthropy side and you know, the, 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 the great things they do with hospitals and stuff. Uh, um, like number 82 for us and, uh, you know, and, and so they, they have all these poor, these dimensions to their life, but they, they're still just guys. But then there's the, the real purpose to your point about the border battle is simply because people, they get into ruts with their life. Jobs become mundane, even challenging jobs become quite manageable. And then they need water cooler talk. They need to have a distraction. So, so sports serve a great purpose in society. And that is simply as a distraction so much so that the TV contracts are that monumental so much so that uh, there's a guy from the front office and he texted me saying, you know, well, what, what's going to happen this season? I said, I don't know. What's you think? And he said, I think we might be playing to empty stadiums and which will be horrible because the language on the sidelines is really bad. They're going to, they're going to, I was talking to a guy from United, the soccer, they're going to do that. And and he said that they're going to, they're going to mute out the sideline and only have the broadcaster voices. The broadcast <laughs> should be the only thing you hear because you can't hear oh, what, what the weird. players are saying because you don't want to hear what the players are saying and, and the coaches. So, so it's, so it's like, it's going to be really weird, but the, um, but you see the contracts even get bigger for TV because people want to check out. That's why movie business has been so big. Remember in the, the Great Depression, movies just surged because it was their, was their way out yeah. of their troubles. Sports isn't much different. So then and there's- People are so hungry for sports right now. Like just any, and even me, and I'm not, I wouldn't even call myself a sports fan, but same here. generally that's what I'll watch on TV. Like it just gives you something to like tune out. And, and but it's, it's not there. And it's like, they're talking about uh, running a NASCAR race here pretty soon. I heard it's going to happen. Um, which, you know, you can social distance with that, but I, yeah. I you know, I don't know. I, I, will we play football? I don't know. You know, can they play, they can play baseball. I mean, I don't, they were talking I, about sequestering the baseball players. Well, I think that's over the top. I understand that it's bad, but I also am of the mindset that I think it's leveled off enough to where we can go back to somewhat normal living. But like you said, I haven't had a direct contact death or, or someone come, you know, come down with it. But I do think that we can't stay like this forever. We have to, because you're going to start getting the other side of it where people are going to start reacting to the lack of action on the normal part. Like people are, are going to get weird because they can't, you know, there's a lot of people struggling financially and blah, 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 blah. But, but, we need that. We need that sports to take us out of the, the, the world we're living in. That's why it's so popular. Normally PTSD is going to actually be now spreading through regular society because the stress 
that some people have about finances. Yeah. And and that because men are terrible about our identity becomes what we have and what we do. And so men will struggle probably worse than women. Um, but uh, it's going to become rampant. And so it goes back to society determining what's the value of a human life. Is it, is it so, is it, is it, is it a, is a, phys, is it a, is it, is it a physical health or is it a societal economics? And, and that, that's being disputed now uh, vehemently, but I'm really curious to see where to land. And, and ironically, the, you know, the constitution says all the, the states have their own Power, but then there's this thing where Washington gets to say, so that's even a funny kind of talk about governors making their calls and then is the federal kind of try to try. So, so it's become a real. Well, George's uh, loose. They're, they're like back open now. Their restaurants opened on uh, Monday. Yeah. I haven't heard anything. I try not to watch the news. I don't. Same here. Actually. You know, I don't want to hear it. I, I, I'm in my own little zone in my own little world. And, and I don't often even like to bring it up on the show because, but it's so hard to avoid. It's like the elephant in the room. Because you don't have sports, you don't have, you know, so yeah. so it's difficult. But do I see us going back to uh, playing sports in the fall? Uh, you know, I do. I think, I think, you know, I think sports with no fans is a different sport because there's a lot of energy, and you probably know That's it more than true. anyone being yeah, on the field. There's a lot of energy there that 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 drives these people. Yeah. Where if you're just kind of you know, uh, at a dance and there's no one else there. I you're, mean, you're eh, absolutely right. It's kind of weird. And you know how you see it. I've seen it Monday night football players step up. When we go to green Bay, they're so enamored with the stadium and playing in green Bay. They've all, a lot of these young players have always wanted, you hear them saying it, you walk, you watch them walk out and they're like, wow, this is, you know, I get to, I've always wanted to, you hear that. There's a real dynamic to what you're saying. If they go home where they grew up, new energy, yeah. they go to the team that cut them. New players are just, you know, they can't show up as much as they have more intensity, maybe than general society, they're human and they can only turn it on so high. And there have been some like Michael Jordan's who have had always had the ability to, to turn it to maximum, but that's, he's an anomaly that well, most of them are just guys who, and he's not getting tackled every day to, you know, like I beg your I ass to differ on that. every Sunday. So this guy, wow. a Viking photographer, games. Viking photographer said, Hey, will you, will you come down to the, to the target stadium or target, uh, center center and man a camera? I said, yeah, I'm a photographer. I love photography, but I didn't have to shoot. It was a remote control camera, but I had to sit out on the field way in front of the cameras. And the only way the NBA had let someone let a camera down there to get that shot is if there was someone manned it. So when the players came, you could pick it up. So I'm sitting out there on, right underneath the basket. And every time the players come, I'd pick it up and they'd step over me. And oh, then they'd shit. run so into right the in. camera. Oh, you couldn't get closer because that the NBA said this is as close as a human's allowed. But did Rodman kick you? Did he kick no you? No one kicked me. <laughs> but I witnessed the physicality of a tight end. They there was this one play. I I, I I don't remember who we were playing Golden State. I did this. I only did it for one game, and uh, and and we had a I can't remember players, but there was a there was a a, a big Ukrainian guy. He was a seven footer, six eleven or something, and monstrous. Those guys weigh even if they're skinny are over three hundred pounds just because they're just so big, and so um, our player. I can't remember what happened, but he got his legs taken out. He's on the ground. He hit, he went, when you take a guy who's six, four, six, six legs out, they're falling from six feet Damn. and they land on a hardwood. 
And I, I'm like, I'm sitting on the hardwood and it's just shaking. Man. And I'm seeing their faces and their elbows hit and their knees hit. And I'm going, I didn't know that basketball was like football. Oh, yeah. And they, and the guy was laying there because he got taken out hard. And the, the big Ukrainian steps on his head, pivots down court, and pushes off his head. And I'm sitting right in front of his head. I'm going, this guy, this guy, I'm looking at it. And, and all of a sudden, the plays at the other end, finally, he can't even get up. Then they call a foul on him. But I'm like, you got no idea what just happened. That wasn't a foul. That this guy should be taken to the hospital. This monster who weighs 300 pounds just stepped on his head. Now he stepped on a pivoted and pushed off. And Unreal. I'm, and I'm like, I, I walked away from that game saying, I give up. Basketball is as physical as and they're in the inside game Thuggery. is elbows and and they're getting beat up. Well, you see a good a good depiction of that in that Michael Jordan that last dance thing. When they played the Pistons, the Pistons were notorious for just being brutal dirty. and dirty. Yeah, punching and elbowing, yeah. and and you never even think about it. But like, if you're under the net and Shaq's coming down on you, come on, we're, we're, How are you we're, not probably, dead? We're, we're talking about coming down. He knows you're there, and he's leading with his elbow. And all he has to do is is accelerate his elbow, his arm a little bit, and use his bottom velocity, and he just about knocked you out. Oh. And you're supposed to turn down court and defend, or you know, this is a game that that I had no idea. Because even in a front row, I, I had really close seats before, and and you don't see it. But sitting on the court and feeling that. You were feeling it, yeah. And then seeing it, like, literally three feet in front of you, I'm like, this is insane. This is a sport that these guys should have helmets and pads. And Well, and know. it's interesting because you don't look at basketball being that way. But, but, you know, week after week after week, and they play a hell of a lot more games than football. Oh, the joint. It's, how where, do you yeah. do it? Like, I, I don't. I'm not athletic at all. I don't, uh, not at all. And I have trouble getting off the couch. Hey, but you can float. <laughs> I'm sure, sure of it. Uh, I excel at that. <laughs> I, um, I swimming's for you, baby. But I think they, uh, uh, you know, like uh, like Favre or or uh, whoever, like when you're 50 and you're getting off the couch, like yeah. constantly getting your ass kicked like that. Oh, man. How, how about this? So years ago, Dallas's quarterback of age old, of who? Dallas. Yeah. The great. Oh, yeah. He's the announcer now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why can't I think of his name? Uh, uh, yeah, this one's for you. God. It'll come to me. So Ir Irving was his receiver. Troy Aikman. Yep. So Troy Aikman. <sighs> God, I, so, took the, I, took a, I took a right. I went the long way. I, I could have went direct, but I did. I, I went a around. good announcer, too, by the way, right? He seems sharp. Uh, Maybe not. I mean, I mean, yeah, he's good. He's good enough. He makes it in the big league. So we're at the Metrodome. You know Dennis Miller. Right. <laughs> he, he actually, Remember that train wreck? The comedian who goes, <laughs> yeah. So so one of their players has a knee or needed IV, I can't remember. You know, Sometimes they get so dehydrated, they run them up to the, uh, the locker room, they stick an IV in their arm, they hydrate them and send them out back out. So I don't remember if he had an IV, but, but there was a knee thing too because they said, ice down this guy's knee. And, and I'm like, I'm a clubby. So I said, yeah, okay. You know, because the thing is, never say no in life, right? Right, right. So I said, you know, stick a roll under his knee. You don't want to have it straight when you ice it. So I, I put a roll under his knee. I, I put an ice bag on and I put the shrink wrap around it. And, uh, and then, oh, we needed x-rays. So there was an injury. So they said, stay here until the x-rays get back. And, uh, and then have a cart ready. And if he's good to go, bring him back to the field. I said, okay. We had two carts on the field. And... Uh, and so, but the, the Cowboys didn't know that. 
So there was now Aikman gets his gets a concussion. It was his seventh one. Jesus. And 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 I I'm walking out of the locker room finally because they gave me you know go back to the field. The player didn't go back. I was just going out by myself. He was down for the he was out. And so I meet Troy in the doorway. I hey Troy. He's just staring at me like and it's, he's like a dog, the bobblehead dog in the in the thing. Really. And his head swinging around in a circle and he's like hi. And I and I and I so I step back and they go in. And they grab us. They're, they're saying, "What city are we in?" He didn't know. What? Who are we playing? Didn't know. What's the score? Didn't know. Didn't know a thing. No shit. He, it was. A, they, that was the end of his career because they said no more. Because now you think about CTE and the, <sighs> the brain injury, and and so I'm like, this poor man. How is he even alive? Seven concussions. He had. He had multiple in a year. How many do you have that one year? Just tons. well, and I think I think that that goes back to the whole thing, like. These guys are playing at another level, but I mean, like, like you get a kid who has a concussion, they damn near take him out for the year. Right. You know, where this guy's got seven. And they put him back in. That was it though. That, I think that was the end of his career at that Have time. Have you watched that uh, Aaron Hernandez documentary? Oh, that was going to be painful. Holy CTE. So I, I was standing on the sidelines. Now they, the, uh, talking to the uh, concussion, they, they have a concussion doctor and they have a red hat and she's a, Big time neurologist at Ain't She MC, fantastic woman. They've given them the power now to stop the game. They have a button that they can push and that's it. The play really? dies right then. It's it's over. The play has to wow. stop and they can get that guy out. So they they just did that maybe a year or two ago. They gave him that, I think a year. Have they ever used it? I mean, Not been? yet. But I, I talked to her about that a lot. And I said, uh, you know, let's, you know, tell me more about CT because she's a big one researching it. And, uh, and, and so here's one that you'll find fascinating. So do you know, especially being in audio, and, and I, I love wearing my Bose headphones all day long. Oh, yeah. And I listen to music. I try not to be loud, but I, I, I'm a, I like music and I'm a, somewhat of a musician. And so I just really dig it, right? Right. So do you know that low-end sounds um, and loud volume creates as much brain damage, CTE, as a concussion. Really? Research has shown it. So I I said, um, there are some studies that John Hopkins or someone, she said, did it. So I said, whoa, wait a minute. I've had 28 years on the sidelines because the, the crowd noise and at the Metro, I said, my, my brain must be the size of a walnut because, so do you realize season ticket holders should be wearing earplugs? They're really? experiencing as much CTE damage over the years as if they're having concussions. Google that. You'll find it fascinating. Wow. So I'm like, that's scary. So now I noticed, uh, I talked to Chris Larson, all the orthopedics and the physicians on the sidelines. And I said, do you know that? And they're like, wow. You know, so they all wear earplugs anyway, because, and they wear that little, the curly secret service thing, because oh, then yeah. they can ca called in. But so they have one earplug with that, but they all wear earplugs. If they don't have that in, they all have it now. But if they don't, they have that in one ear and they wear earplug because there's a real phenomena that is being overlooked. That wow. crowd noise and then and then music that's played, but but low end actually does more CTE damage at a high that volume. Makes sense. I did. I, I it was counterintuitive to me. I well, just I would like, never blew my have mind. Of that. So I, I as older I get, more sensitive I get. The crowd noise just hurts. And in uh, some wow. stadiums are worse. Like Arizona's really hurts me because they have a steel roof, and it just see the shrillness of it. And How's the sound at US Bank now? Really loud. 
Yeah. And, you know, I've been to all the stadiums now and in, in, in all the new ones and uh, Seattle is pretty loud for an open air and uh, the new Atlanta stadium, the Mercedes Benz there is pretty loud. They all say, you know, they, Arrowhead has this thing that says a sign when you come out of the locker room, it says we're the world's loud, ha, loudest stadium to intimidate the players and at 117 or whatever decibels. And theirs isn't that loud. It's loud. All stadiums are loud, but but ours is really loud. Our new stadium is as loud as, if not louder than any stadium in the country. Damn. So I'm saying, man, that's a weird phenomenon about thinking about earplugs. So I, I try to wear them now. Well, on top of that, the uh, the players who are on the field, and, That's what and, I they said. don't even wear them. Well, here's what I said to her. I said, wow, we had a playoff game once, and I, I don't remember if, I think it might have been Favre, it was when Favre was here. And you don't see those orange speakers in the helmet? Mm -hmm. They're loud. So they're so loud that you can hear them from the sidelines. <laughs> right? Oh, really? And they, and Dennis, they the, the quarterback wanted two. So he had four of those in his helmet. We really heard it from the sidelines. I said, and now think about all... Their eyes really loud because I'll do sound checks on them. I'll walk the field because we don't have dropout zones or like the. Oh yeah, right. The, there's a there's a defensive player and then the the, uh, the offensive player that gets it? to have it, so they get to choose. So it's a quarterback and and usually a linebacker, and so they're so loud. I said those guys, and then when they did four speakers, those guys who in those positions, like a quarterback, his whole career he's got speakers in. He's literally getting. I said to her, so he's literally getting CTE from that as much as concussions? And she said, yes, probably. Wow. So there's another odd phenomena that, that has never been, probably never be spoken of because you that's learn controversial. learn more here by accident yeah, than exactly. most places by design. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I, I wow. I, I haven't been to the stadium for a football game yet. I've been there for baseball and whatever, whatever, but I, uh, I'm excited to check it out. But I, I guess I wouldn't even think of that. But now I, I'm, I'm kind of curious too, to see I'm going to watch for the person in the red hat to push that button. I don't think, you know. It would be pretty interesting. They're really, they're really watching um, because it's their responsibility. And and they literally come out of brain surgery. And I asked her, I'd say, so she, they are, we get rotating ones. They, they you know, it's, they work f f all week and then they do this in the in a game day. It's, yeah. it's just a demanding schedule. So wow. they almost do it out of a altruistic kind of a thing and curiosity, but uh, like orthopedics, like, working with them because the elite athletes are really fun examples for them and studies for them. Like Chris Larson's just phenomenal. We have the most phenomenal people as orth orthopedics. Oh, I bet. Just, and, and Chris Kutze, it's just, he's a South African guy who, whose specialty is uh, hand and foot and, and Larson's uh, hip and, and uh, knee, I think. But uh, so, Damn. so. I'm sure they get the best of the best. I mean, come on. You know what's interesting about that? Remember we had the guys from TRIA and now we have the guys from TCO, Twin Cities. Up yeah, the in-house. And, uh, and the last guys, and I, I said, I said, so you're a brand new surgeon. You're going to give a guy, cut into his knee, cut into his hip, do a shoulder, do whatever. Yeah. He's just out of school. I mean, <laughs> what's that feel like? And do you have like, to disclose that? Yeah, exactly. You're my first. And I go, um... What, uh, oh, you know what started the story is when I had my bicep screwed back into my radius, <sighs> I watched the surgery because they can put a TV screen in front of you. And I said, the only thing I don't know if I can handle. You were awake? Yeah. When you cut the skin, when you do the <sighs> incision or when God. you drill into my bone, because they take a cordless drill and they just <sighs> drill in your bone. And it's a big hole. It's like a half inch hole. I said, if, if I can't <laughs> handle it, can you just knock me out? And they said, yeah, we'll have these syringes loaded up and just, 
and we'll just, and you'll be out. I said, okay. So at the end of the surgery, the guy goes, uh, um, actually there was a, there was a rep in the room. This is why they shouldn't let you be awake. There was a, a medical device rep in the, in the surgical room. It was down at Tria on 494. And, and they have this device because they, they drill a hole and then they suture this clear anchor that's made out of protein that dissolves into your bone. Your bone replaces it. And then this, this attachment, they have to get into your marrow so there's blood to reattach. Then it grows back on and that's <sighs> the end of it. And so I got done with the surgery and, 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 but this guy's in there and he's trying to screw this thing in and it's just not working. So he's, he gives it to, to the medical device guy and I'm watching the medical device is he guy. Like, is he like, like you and I when we're working on something and it won't work? He's like, fuck, come on, piece of shit. Yeah, pretty much. Slamming the tools and down. So, well, he doesn't, he doesn't do that, but he had cool complex, but his hands are shaking and his blood vessels are bulging. He gives it back to the guy and the guy's standing there with him and he goes, well, it usually works. And I said, <laughs> and he says, give me this. And he kicks a regular Phillips screwdriver and it squeaks. And I said, that's a good sound, right? And he goes, yeah, I don't want to round out the hole. If that device rounded oh, out my hole, I wouldn't God. get that anchor attached, right? And uh, and so, uh, but I said to him at the end, he goes, how do you feel? I said, appreciative. He said, really? Why? I feel I like said, I don't want to invest in that equipment company. Yeah, because I said, I said, I think I have one of the best guys in the Twin Cities. He said, I'm not the best in the Twin Cities. I'm one of the best in the world. Wow. And so I told told the guy, the, the orthopedic that was later on the sidelines, I told him that story. And he goes, yeah, yeah, we all do. We all think we're the best in the world. I said, is that the confidence that gets you into these, in and out of these surgeries? He said, yeah, maybe. But he said, you, I said, you really feel that? You really feel you're the best of the best? And he goes, Yeah. So, so there's a, there's a mentality amongst oh. those orthopedics. The fascinating thing about that, when they screwed that tendon, it was all crooked God, and keep spun around. back to it. And it was sticking up. There was a big bump right in the crease of my elbow here. And, and it was a big Did you feel it when knob. you bent the elbow? Like when you bent your arm Yeah, back? it was a big knob. Well, they keep you immobilized forever before they oh. let you move just five degrees. But I was talking to an orthopedic uh, from the Arizona Cardinals uh, a year later. And I said, man, that's amazing. I said, that that thing reattaches. He said, you know, you want to hear something really amazing? Because I said, you guys are like carpenters. You just kind of get it in place and get out. And then the, the body just takes over. And he goes, yeah, exactly. This thing, I said, I watched the tendon. It was all twisted up because he didn't have the, the, the turns right, you know, when he started screwing it in. It's not like you can back it out. And It's like like when you're wrapping Teflon tape exactly. on, a, on a fitting. Yep. You, 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 so it's kind of, the tendon's kind of twisted. <laughs> and he said, you know what would be amazing? He said, in three to five years, if I took that and X-grade that, attachment after the fact, it will straighten out. And I would not be able to tell the original attachment before the rupture until my, my body did. So your DNA, if you don't believe in amazing uh, miracles, the DNA straightened the tendon out and that knob went away and it went down to its original flush attachment. And he said, so yeah, we just get Have it you in seen there. It since? This? Yeah. No, I, yeah, it's just it's just like this one. Where no, but I mean, have you had it x-rayed or MRI'd? No, no. Look at but it? he said, he said, that's the phenomena of of your body's that's healing incredible. abilities. Yeah, I was blown away. So it's like, they really are kind of like carpenters. You, oh. you keep it clean. Don't let it get infected. Get it close. Let the blood happen. And then this is reattach. And it just, boom. You know, I got into, uh, my mom's got COPD really bad. Oh, and no. I got into uh, the stem cell stuff for a while. Because I was like, I'll pay for it. You know, let's do it. And, and when I, and I don't know anything, but the, but the here, 
how that stem cell process works. And there's some real believers out there. Like it works for some people. Some people it does, some it does. So tell us more. What, what, what well, it's it's just more or less uh, the one company I talked to, because I had a guy come in here who must smoke a carton of cigarettes a day. Yeah. And he's like, you know, my buddy had COPD real bad or his mom or so, his mom. And she went to Arizona to the the lung center or whatever, lung institute. And they, uh, and they did it. And they take your, your, your blood out and they spin it and they get all the, the stem cells out of it. They put it back in and it goes in and finds the problem and takes care of it. So I was like, you know, whatever, we'll fly out there. And we were ready to go like twice, but she got sick and we couldn't fly. And, uh, well then I found, uh, cause this guy said that his mom or whoever had gone in for the stem cell and was in a wheelchair on oxygen and left on her own feet with no oxygen. So it was like, you know, and I don't know now knowing what I know that it could have been that instantaneous, but, um, uh, so then I found here locally, the, uh, the lung Institute or something, they use, uh, baby, uh, umbilical stem cells, which are fresh, have all the goods in them and they use that. So then I started thinking, well, shit, do we want to use these old tired cells and spin them? Or do we want these new baby cells and spin those? Um, but they've gotten great results. Uh, they've had great results. And, 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 um, do they have test results that compare the two? Between the old, no, I don't, I don't, I didn't think that far into it. You mean, very the, controversial about the umbilical one. Well, yeah, I could imagine. Yeah. But I know um, Mel, Mel Gibson was on Joe Rogan's podcast and he, he, he has his dad down in Mexico or something and he gets it for his knee and it, and it's perfect. Like it went back to new. Um, so you, you hear all different versions of it. Yeah. And I, it's still very controversial any way you look at well, it. Well, not the controversial is the, is the extraction the harvesting, but the results, because I, I have a, a buddy that uh, had his wife and he did it on his knees and they had no effect. He went to Mexico. He did, he did all the greatest methods and there was no benefit. So it's like, he's like, he had all the hope. The sad thing is that it, like anyone, we, we lean towards optimism right? and then we get disappointed. So he was, he was like, it didn't work for my wife. We had all our hopes up. That was the hardest is my emotional went bam. And so, but you got to try it. Well, and right? what, what happened with my mom is it was, you know, it was COPD and it was pneumonia and it was this and, and you can't have any other ailment. It has to be able to focus on that one. Otherwise it's going to go fix the pneumonia or it's going to go fix the oh, whatever. Interesting. So you want it. And this is my take. I mean, you probably have medical professionals out there that, that could break this down to where it makes more sense and is more uh, backed up with data. I'm going off of, you know, my, my research that I did, which was really a few phone calls and a little internet searching, but it's, it's really fascinating. And it, and it, it really seems to help these people because this COPD thing is ridiculous and it, and it really takes Terrible. them down. And we, you know, she's, I think past the point of trying to, you know, stem cell repair it. Yeah. Um, so we've just accepted that, but it, it really, it's fascinating. I think I would try it if I had something that I think it could benefit. Yeah, why not? Uh, right. Because it really, you know, and it's, I don't know, one, the one in Arizona was like 8,000 bucks. And the one local here was like 12,000. Oh. Um, and, and it's not a one and done, you know, there's going to be more treatments and whatnot. So, but it, it's an ongoing, uh, thing. And I, I think they're going to do more with it. It's, it's fascinating, but my mother-in-law died of COPD and it's a terrible way to go. <sighs> 
because that everything, their brain's perfectly, their heart is in perfect condition, and there's those lungs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's twofold, and this gets back to what we talked about earlier, is that, uh, you know, my dad died at 58. Just, but he, you know, poured gravy on his gravy and chased it with a cigarette. I mean, he he's like, if I can't live the way I want to live, then then I'm leaving, you know? Okay. And then he died. And, uh, and my mom, <clears throat> that H1N1 virus got her when she was in Texas. And she's been downhill ever since. And it's oh. almost like, you know, my dad dying so fast like that, it was a blessing where she's just suffering, I hear you, you know, and it's not even bad yet. It's still, she's still, uh, she has a lot of other stuff with fluctuation with this side and the other thing. And she's going to totally chew my ass for bringing this up. But, but, um, did she stop smoking? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, good and bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and my mother-in-law, they said they shouldn't even told her to stop because it was too late already. Well, I think she did that part of it on her own. Okay. And and she may, you know, delve into an e-cigarette now and again. I don't know. I don't. I don't care. I don't want to know. Do what you want to do to enjoy your life while you have it. She seventy-two, but she, um, you know, and that and that's my whole thing. I'm like, you know, do what you can do to enjoy life right now. Don't. You know, well, we need to worry about five years from now. And I'm like, no, let's worry about the end of this month. Because there's been times where her her uh, oxygen levels and her blood levels get so low that you're like, she's not going to make it through the week. Yeah. You know, and she's worried about how she's going to pay for her whatever. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, well, let's worry about right now. You know, where she's got a good friend, obviously family friends that we've grown up with. And uh, her husband passed away uh, a couple of years ago. And, um, and boom, all of a sudden I, I see her one day at my mom's. And the next day, uh, a couple of weeks later, I'm talking to my mom. She's in a home, Alzheimer's. They won't, they can't, she can't trust herself by herself anymore. Wow. And it's like, holy shit. Yep. You know, you got to watch out for this stuff. And, and I don't, you know, you know I don't want to get into how this is all happening now. And it didn't happen as much before. That's a whole nother show. But it's just like, you know, every day you got to, like you said, you got to enjoy every day, every moment for what it is. Cause that's could be it. You know, it could be, uh, you know, whatever you walk out and you get hit by a bus, boom, but. Um, some of the technology, some of the advancements they're making is, uh, is really, uh, moving us in the right direction, but there's just like, you know, it's just like that first person who bought a Prius. It was really expensive and they look stupid as hell, but you're saving the environment. Somebody has to do it. Somebody has to take that first step, you know, and it's, it's the stem cell, it's the whatever to try and to, to help people live a longer, happier life. And I see what's happening to my mom and the treatment you know, they do what they could do. They have all these steroids and whatever and juice her up. And, and at times, and actually right now, um, my sister lives right near her and my sister's like, she's doing better than she has in a really long time. Well, of course we can't go see her. We can't do anything because she's in a retirement community where they have it on lockdown. Um, but it's really been an interesting thing to see how much, you know, and it's only going to get worse, but that's the, that's the common theme that I hear from everybody that, that COPD is a bad, bad way to go. Bad ending. My mother-in-law said there's that commercial where they have an elephant standing on the chest. Yeah. She said, that is the best representation. You just can't breathe. Oh, God. And what's sad is she- Well, and that's like, like how many, uh, like if you surveyed a thousand people, you know, 995 of them are going to say, I don't want to suffocate. I don't want to drown. Right. You know, I don't want to exactly. run out of air. Yeah. Because that's, that's like the worst thing that could happen. The worst thing. Because it's, 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 it's a psycho. Because I noticed that when she had anxiety- her COPD effects were worse and more dramatic. Oh, I'm when sure. When she was doing what she wanted, like she loved to garage sale. When she was on garage sale, the woman acted like she hardly had it. But as soon as she was somewhere and she just was in her head, 
She was panic attacking. Oh, that totally. That's what my mom is. My mom is like, you know, she'll, she'll, she'll come to visit me, but then she'll get there and she'll just be panicked that she's not gonna be able to breathe. Right. So she'll just go back home. Yep. She'll be like, I, I just can't, you know, I couldn't get out of the car because it's just too much. And I totally get it. Like, like we, uh, often don't realize the basic things like breathing, exactly. you know, like, 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 you know, saliva in your mouth, like, like being able to hear, like these things that you just take is, well, it's always going to be this way. It's normal. Well, my neighbor, uh, where I live, he's got COP, never smoked a day in his life. He's got it. How does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know him well enough to be eventually, uh, you know, I'd like to ask, but I don't know. Well, that's pretty private information. I would We're gonna think. Google that one. Yeah. Well, and it's possible. I mean, it happens, but, but, uh, anyway, Hey, we got to wrap this thing up, man. Yep. You can't stay all day. We got to get back to normal life. Exactly. Um, so anyway, I had to quickly get back and shelter myself. Yeah, exactly. Get get back on lockdown. Um, so anyway, we uh, we will definitely pick this up again somewhere down the road. We can't thank Terry enough for the time. Everybody needs to go out and tell a friend about the podcast during the pandemic. The one thing you can share is the podcast. Pass it along to a friend. Give us a review. Subscribe. Tell all your friends how amazing it is. And uh, We'll catch up with you on the next episode. Everyone take care. Have a great week. Thanks again, Terry, for coming in. You can say bye. Thank you. <laughs> That's it. That's the end. That's a wrap. Read the shtick. That's a wrap for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends. If you'd like to reach out, you can use the studio line at 612-504-6500 or by email, the DK Project Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, there's always social media at the DK Project Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.